Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and today with me is... I'm Hai Chen Bui, a pop culture journalist in D.C., and Anya is not here with us today, but we have a guest, my co-worker from the Washington Examiner. Why don't you introduce yourself? Well, hi, Millennial Falcon listeners. My name is Josh Axelrod. I'm, a, as she said, I'm HT's co-worker at the Examiner, and I do our pop politics beat. And pop politics is what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, election Day is... It's like we planned this or something. I know. It's two days away? Two days it's away from two this. Days it's away. almost over. I have been counting Is it, though? Them. Is it, though? <laughs> Mr. I'm not going to concede until unless he wins? That's not going to be good. Why That's true. It's, it's, it'll be. <laughs> it, it's not over until Election Day. Until Inauguration Day. Mm-hmm. No. Even then. Anyways, <laughs> we're going to be talking about the fun side of politics. Pop politics, which is the fictional side, yes. not just SNL and all the comedy and satire and late night shows which poke fun at the current election, which does often feel like an episode of Parks and Rec. We're going to be talking about the fictional tellings of Washington, D.C., your House of Cards, your our Parks and Rec, your Veep, but also how they uncannily reflect this year's 2016 presidential election. 2016, what are your greatest influences? And if your answers aren't Veep and Parks and Rec, you're lying. Mm-hmm. So guys, let's talk a little bit about this year's election and how it strays a little bit too close to our favorite po- political comedies. Yeah. So Trump is basically uh, Bobby Newport, but with the personality of Jeremy Jam. And it's really terrible. With a little bit of Selena Meyer's vindictive streak mm-hmm. to go in there. Yes. Yeah, when I first saw Veep, I saw very much like a parody of Hillary Clinton and like her ambition and stuff. But and like but at the same time she was just like plagued by incompetence, which kind of at this point seems a little bit like Hillary Clinton's own campaign. People around DC also like to say that real politics are closer to Veep than say the dark brooding nature of House of Cards. Like mm-hmm. it's more incompetent or the than... uplifting nature of West Wing. Mhm. If only. Yeah. Yeah. If only people could actually get along to solve their problems. Yeah. But it does seem like people, even in, like, Veep, they'd get along better than how they do in the real life. Well, it's amazing because, like, they, they, they swear seem kind so of, much. They seem to kind of like each other on Veep. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, they all hate Mike. But, <laughs> yeah. And Jonah. And Jonah. Well, <laughs> Jonah's a jolly green words I can't say on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. But... Yeah, I was, um... I've been watching... Binging Veep lately. I've been trying to, at least. But I had made the... The mistake of binging it while I was working, because I work from home sometimes, and it's just too much politics. It's too real for me. I tried to binge The West Wing recently, and I got nine episodes in before I was like, I can't do this in 2016. Yeah. Maybe maybe any other year. So, like, at what point did, like, these political shows become too much of a reality check and not an escape? Uh, I think when the 2016 election started. Because <laughs> the second Donald Trump announced. A second, the second he announced, and also the fact that there was, like, an, a comically large number of Republican candidates for the nominee mm-hmm. because there was like I, I remember when Stephen Colbert did his like he was doing like it was early on whenever everyone was still in the race and he just had every single face on the screen and it, he he his face was barely on the screen as well when he had to, he did the little like group picture of all the all the all the folks um, <laughs> and SNL couldn't even get them all on their stage usually they didn't mm. have enough cast members for yeah. it. <laughs> they, yeah, and so that was really when everyone – when Trump announced his presidency, when a re- reality TV show star, quote-unquote star, uh, <laughs> announced his candidacy for president. That's when everyone was like, 
here we go. But everyone thought he was a joke, and that he would la- he would only last until maybe the primary, and then hell's frozen over. And now we have less than a year later, where what's his name, Kanye West. This- goes to the MTV Movie Awards and nobody knows whether to take him seriously or not now when he says I want to run for president in 2020 because yeah. there's a precedent now for that. Yeah. No one knows what's going to happen. And we're, so we're going to have VP Kim Kardashian at some point. We have to be prepared for that okay. mentally. I want to kind of defend Kim Kardashian <laughs> because course. I think she has an excellent business mind and she would actually make a very good VP or at least campaign manager behind the scenes or something. She has been directing Kanye's career ever since they got married and it's been somewhat great like the way that she like you know like the Kanye Taylor video is her fault yeah it's essentially her fault because like he was like I just want to do my art but then she's like how can we milk this for all it's worth okay I believe that yeah never mind mind. you're you're 100% right she would be a very like shrewd political um nothing else she 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 might be the closest first lady we ever get to Claire Underwood Mm -hmm. actually when you put it that way yeah exactly she reminds me a lot I was watching Veep last night she reminds me a lot of like Amy in in Veep just like very shrewd but also just like what am I doing here I'm not convinced she's what am I doing here. I think she's very happy that she's there. I guess. With the exception of getting robbed in Paris because she checked in on social media. But, you know. I don't know if I would blame her for that. I'm not blaming her for that, but that's when she becomes less happy about her fame. Anyways. um, That was a bad joke. Yes. (laughs) So I would say this is the first celebrity 20, like 2016. The 2016 was like the first celebrity Elections. Well, that makes sense on the Democratic side, too, because mm-hmm. we have Hillary Clinton, who has been in the spotlight since 1992, even before that. She's not long a political celebrity. Long, long before that. But, like, when once she was first lady, that was when, like, people were, that was when everyone knew her. Mm-hmm. And then she became a senator, and then she was secretary of state, where people liked her. Republicans liked her when she was secretary of state. Mm-hmm. And then she ran, now she's running for, for president again as someone who we've known for 30 years and mm-hmm. also Donald Trump on his side too like so these are it's not just two political outsiders or not political outsiders but like not like Barack Obama ever knew he, he was he wasn't a celebrity when he ran for president but now he is cuz mm-hmm. he's a, the biggest figure in the world but Hillary Clinton was up there as a first there's a lot of name recognition yeah there's a lot of name recognition yes. so that's why i think that this election is more of a and as well as the Trump influence of like crazy scandal every week yeah uh, that Spe- speaking of political shows scandal scandal there <laughs> scandal. we go which and is one that we always forget about because which... it's not nearly as good as the other ones yeah but... I remember you watched a lot of episodes of I've watched I've watched at least the first three I got uh, th- I got through four seasons before I gave up on Shonda shows that's I, a lot of show seasons I gave up I, get, I, watch, I never watched Grey's but I watched Scandal and how, how to get away with murder and it was just too much escapism. Yeah, there was well, for, for one Thursday. Very soapy, I heard. It, it, it's very dramatic, very over the top, very. Mm. Yeah, it, it's days of our lives in the White House, basically. Yeah, mm. just oh, a, yeah. especially, a little, especially a when harder. you get Fitz and Olivia in the same room together, and they're staring at each other, and you don't know if they're going to make out or fight, <laughs> and they always end up making out, and then okay. fighting. So the only the extent of what I've seen of Scandal is that SNL sketch in which was a brilliant SNL yes, sketch. in which they just like he just like start, they start kind of making out, but then they're just like. Basically, like putting their hands on each other's faces that's, and having a weird that, moment. That's the show. Yeah. Um, and there's it, there, a lot goes a lot goes on in that show. Um, and they actually took influence from this election where they had a candidate who was Trump-esque. Oh yeah, the oil it, guy. Right? Yeah. 
Um, played by James Woods, I believe. Is it James Woods? I think it was James Hades? Woods. Hades? No, it wasn't James Woods. No, it can't be James it was, Woods. No, because James Woods loved Trump. So it was someone who... <laughs> it was someone who... That's true. James Woods is, James Woods is uh, uh, on the record as being it, a Trump supporter. So uh. it was someone who looked like James Woods, but I wasn't sure. Um, but yeah, so they had someone who looked like Trump. And but that, folks, never find out what your favorite actors actually believe. Like, if you're a Chuck fan, do not ever go on Adam Baldwin's Twitter. He is a... Hardcore conservative <laughs> who actually got in a fight with uh, a Twitter fight with one of our colleagues from ATV yeah. back in the day, Josh Feldman. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it was because he works for Mediate, and so he actually like he, uh, you know reports on all reports the stuff, on all yeah. the stuff. And Adam Baldwin was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So that was awkward, um, but yeah, um, just there's so much happening in this election that we that is, it has either been in, you know unintentionally influenced by. The, the fictional side, the, the fictional shows, or and then the, the, and then to inverse that, a lot of shows have taken inspiration from 2016 because you get um, House of Cards. I haven't sca- watched the last season. Well, minor spoiler, but there was a moment where uh, Frank Underwood's dad was involved with the KKK, and that actually ha- um, pr- the, the the premiere of the fourth season took place right after. The first instance of the KKK, like and endorsing, endorsing Trump, endorsing Trump with like David Duke. Oh. Well, hasn't there also been allegations of uh, Trump's father being uh, involved with white supremacists? I think that was the, I think that was the main yeah. comparison was that that was a weird, that was a thing that was I was I always figured that was the case, which yeah. shocked me. So well, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't Bill and uh, aren't uh, Claire and Frank loosely based off the Clintons? Kind of. I mean, if you think about it, so. I, I think they were the jumping. Did off you point. watch this yeah. season? Yeah, 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 they're definitely like yes. based on that. Um, I, I, I fully believe that they, they have a third person in their marriage, too. <laughs> the three drum! My favorite part of House yeah, of that's Cards. Yeah, yeah, that's who we're talking about. Yeah. Wait, what? No. You'll have to watch. Yeah, but no, it's fine. It's another person other than the three drum? It's fine. Okay. You, might, you might have to watch. Yeah. I guess I should um, watch. And also, Claire's aspirations are very hilly. Very, very yeah, very. Mm-hmm. Um, so, there's all this messiness going on, guys. But I think I we, can, we can look at Parks and Rec as a shining example of <sighs> of, 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 of like taking like a Hillary Clinton type character and putting her in like local elections and making her likable mm-hmm. too, which and, I think is what Hillary's strategy and sur- is. And surrounding well. her with a staff that seems to genuinely like each other, mm-hmm. as yeah. opposed to say Veep or Lord knows what Hillary's staff actually thinks of each other or or whose side or whose side like not whose side I shouldn't say that. What people are thinking about Huma these days? Mm-hmm. I feel so bad for Huma. Huma. I, I, I watched Wiener. A, We've a all seen month. Wiener, and we're so so. I've never felt worse for anyone in a documentary than I did yeah. for Huma. I know. I Wiener honestly felt less like you know the satirical sort of documentary that it kind of came out to be at, when it was first released, and more just like a depressing he picture. He refuses to go away. <laughs> yeah. The, every time you think the man is done and we we can stop covering him, he. he just ruins everything. So we watched it with Anya, um, our other co-host on this podcast, who was a big fan of Wiener back when he was first rising the Democratic oh, Party. Poor thing. I know, and I was we were watching it with her, and I like looked to her, and she was like kind of get like she was like almost tearing up, and she's like getting really emotional. She's like, I had so much hope as, for like, him. As like as, as like the, sh- the the documentary like ro- had him, had him ro- rise to power, and then completely fall off. It did. It felt like more like a depressing picture than a. Comedy, honestly. Just so many pictures, like images of Huma, like looking at her phone, and then looking at her screen, and then looking at Wiener, and then looking back at her screen, and just yeah. going, oh. And then, like, two days later, his third sexting scandal also yeah. broke. So ah. just, just, you know, life-imitating art. 
So I want to talk a little bit about um, the late nights and like mostly SNL and how they've been tackling this year's elections. Before we start the SNL, can I just say mm-hmm. I, I I randomly caught Samantha Bee's interview with Obama. Last oh, yeah. I haven't caught that yet. Well, it was one of the more useless things I've ever seen because <laughs> we all know where Samantha Bee is. And yeah, yeah. How you know it's gonna be a softball inter- interview. Nothing's really gonna come of it. Mm-hmm. It was amusing. I just don't know what good either of them thought that was going to do. I, I, was he pushing anything? Like, was he talking about trade or something? Like no, that? he was like, he, he was trying to get millennials to vote. That oh, was, okay. and Samantha B and John Oliver are probably the two biggest millennial mouthpieces at this point. Mm-hmm. So he was targeting the right demographic. It's just, it just seems conspiratorial almost at this point. Like, what, what, what good is going to come of that? It's a fluff piece. Will be just shrugs, by the way. Yes, <laughs> visually, that's what. Happened. It was like it was like the Jimmy Fallon Trump interview. Like, yeah. what, what good was ever going to come out? Come I mean, of like, that? what do people expect? You know, like if you're going to go on Jimmy Fallon, if Donald Trump is going to go on Jimmy Fallon, like, what do you expect except for a, a puff piece? Basically, because like Jimmy yeah. Fallon is like the most puff. <laughs> well, if he went on something like David Letterman, David Letterman always really took Trump to, to court. Yeah, he always yeah. asked them the tough questions. Yeah. So, like, I think people were disappointed that Jimmy Fallon didn't take the opportunity to do something like that. Yeah, but, like, looking at Jimmy Fallon's content for the past year Well, that's so, very true, too. It's very well, much well, about well, viral was also always a more serious guy than his uh, competition, anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fall- Fallon's a clown. Like, yeah. no, no, nothing more. I just, Honestly, like, people a lot of late-night people are clowns. You would be the court jester in hell. Yes. <laughs> more, more or less. Yeah. I mean, like, honestly... Lip-sync that... Hell is just a giant lip sync battle. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it is, because you know, the good place. Baby showers and lip sync battles. We'll see the bad place at some some point on that show. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I feel like this year's um, late night comedy, aside from some of the cable shows, even SNL hasn't been that biting in terms of its commentary on the 2016 election. It's been pretty on the nose. It's been pretty on the nose and pretty, like, not cliche, but like, from what we've seen from 2008 and 2012, like having like like someone be Hillary Clinton, someone be the other candidate. Like uh, when Amy Poehler was on for 2008, she was Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 2012, it was Jay Farrow or Fred Armisen as, as Obama. Fred Armisen was Obama that was for right a while. Right. That was really awkward. That was really awkward, was really yeah. Awkward. When Fred Armisen was playing like every ethnicity, and you're yeah. like, what are you supposed um, to be? It's either have Keenan Thompson lose weight or let Fred, yeah. Fred Armisen do So, which is why when they got Alec Baldwin, who's not a, who's, I mean, he's hosted SNL like 12, 15 times, mm-hmm. but he's not a cast member. Yeah. So it's really interesting that they bring him on to play Trump because they could have taken Daryl Hammond, who de- who took over for Don Pardo, yeah, yeah. who did Trump whenever when he was on as a regular cast member for guest appearances last year when Trump was actually host. Um, so it's interesting that they were like they bring in Alec Baldwin, who by the way does a phenomenal Trump <laughs> impression. See, like, the thing is, like I like Alec Baldwin's impression of Trump. Yeah, I think that's the. the it was a thing. Like it's a great impression. I just didn't think that they said anything about yeah. the oh, election. No. They were really definitely. Not. They, they were almost just repeating line for they line. They were just repeating the... line for line, and like there was no like I can see Russia from my house moment. Like the yeah. last like. No, honestly, the only the only moment even close to that was burn your enthusiasm. Yeah. From mm-hmm. SNL because yeah. I, I don't know who I don't know who it. Who had that brain trust thought to bring Larry David on as Bernie Sanders? I did. I <laughs> oh, did you? Okay, so the fir- when Bernie Sanders, one of the first time I ever heard Bernie Sanders speak back in 2015, and I was like, he sounds exactly like Larry David. <laughs> and I'm like, if they need to bring Larry David on to play 
And lo and behold. And then they brought him on, like, the premiere. And I remember, like, HT, you texted me or you messaged me saying, like, your dream's coming true. And I'm like, it is. This was actually documented on the Millennial Falcon where we talked about SNL and how Larry David would be a perfect Bernie Sanders. Yes. You're you're a prophet. (laughs) I am. I am. So Hillary Clinton's going to win. But, yeah, I would would say that's the only, like, real impact the SNL has had on the campaign season Mm -hmm. this year, painting Bernie Sanders as Larry David. Yeah. Which was And and I also have to say, Kate McKinnon's Hillary Clinton is actually phenomenal. She is. And it's phenomenal, but I just wonder how many people watch her and think, oh, Hillary is just so ambitious and... Yeah, yeah, I mean, they, and, and probably because she's a woman, sadly, they think, oh, she's she doesn't have the temperament to do these things. I mean, it is like they are playing up, like they are. I mean, they want to make fun of both candidates, so like that's what you would do for Hillary Clinton because mm-hmm. like the, her the stereotype is that she's very ambitious, which is probably robotic and robotic, yeah, and, yeah. Like, yeah, and, and, and kind of like you know very like. The whole like part where she was like trickle down Trump or Trump, yeah, something you know whatever that was. Very cringy. That yeah, kind of that stuff, was, yeah, and, and they, the, the thing and, where Hillary's not funny. And I think that Hillary uh, <laughs> SNL really took that in a like they they did that well where they were like kind of they were highlighting those issues that Hillary Clinton faces as yeah. a candidate. But in a year that like the issues were somewhere else, like yeah. the priorities were somewhere else, it felt. There were issues discussed this year. <laughs> what policy? Who was no. discussing issues? The the moderator. <laughs> Barely. Yeah, Holt. Yeah, and, and Anderson tried. Anderson tried. So emails. <laughs> no. Yeah, it just felt like SNL's priorities were a little bit out of whack because they were trying to like make fun of both candidates equally, but mm-hmm. in the end, the candidates weren't really equal. Yeah, that that's the one thing about this whole election. Like, it's really hard to be bipartisan just because usually we do have two sides of the same coin candidates, but in this case, we have. A politician and whatever you want to call Trump, like <laughs> one, one, it's it's not it's not equal opportunity. No, it's not when no. one deserves it it's more not than the other. A former governor or a former senator yeah. coming together. It's a former first lady, senator, secretary of state, lawyer, senator. and then and then a, a guy who's run a, run a couple of casinos into bankruptcy. And <laughs> so it's just and and like I think uh, Lewis Black pointed out in one of his comedy stand-ups that it's impossible to bankrupt a casino. <laughs> I because, saw that. Yeah, it's yeah. like you always it's a money guzzling. It's a machine. money gu- like the house always wins. <laughs> there's no reason. There's impossible. How does one do that? He did it. Put the twice. Trump, you put the Trump name yeah. on it. Yeah. So, so like, yeah, I I think that. Because this election is just so unprecedented, it's been hard for a lot of these late-night comedy shows or SNL to really make fun of it in in a efficient way. And I think it, I think that's because reality has become stranger than fiction. Mm-hmm. And and also that the Daily Show and the Colbert Show are no longer on. Well, the Daily Show is. Trevor is, Noah. Is it though? It, I mean, yeah, it's Trevor Noah. <laughs> I like Trevor Noah. I'm going to go on He's record fine. on this podcast. Oh yeah, and say, I, I, enjoy, I like him. I enjoy Trevor Noah as a comedian. I, I've seen I've seen him live. He's a funny guy who has biting commentary when he when people are watching him. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is he's not John Stewart. He's not trying to do John Stewart. Yeah. The problem so is people still want people John still Stewart. want John Stewart, and that's fine. But I think that you pe- that people have to realize that Trevor Noah. I mean, he does do well when like serious shit happens. He's good at, like, you know, raising the nation's spirits. But he's not going to go on a 16-minute rant about Trump like Jon Stewart did for, like, the first half of 2016. He, he just needs to figure out how to make his content go viral, which, yeah. again, again, I, I would argue that in this cycle, at least, John Oliver and Samantha Bee have been the most successful. Mm. Yeah, you always, you always get those out. Monday morning headlines of, yep. 
John, John Oliver, Oliver completely destroyed <laughs> Donald Trump. Like, who wants that? But John Oliver is so good, though. He is he's good. Like, he he's my, he's my like, favorite. He I'll go on the record some, saying that. Yeah, he does some really good journalism behind some of his viral clips. Like, they're not just viral for the sake of being viral, like a lot yeah. of Jimmy Fallon stuff, but he actually does research. And John Oliver has facilitated some real change, like mm-hmm. the, the, the smoking thing that actually, like, got politician's attention. Yeah, yeah. and, like, his FIFA piece was amazing. Mm-hmm. And his, uh, and, and he got, like, the pageant, um, it, episode was very good too mm-hmm. and he's gotten presidents of states that mad at him i mean mm-hmm. yeah people watch him like yeah. all over the world yeah and so i think that john oliver is good i think that sometimes entertainment media takes it yes. too far very with much head- so. headlines and stuff the daily show used to make fun of that where yeah. it's like you would get headlines of the next day with john stewart eviscerates donald trump or john stewart eviscerates well now News. well i think that's transferred to samantha b now because now you yeah. see samantha b destroys who, republicans who was on the daily show mm-hmm. and, and samantha b is like even more nakedly partisan than, yeah. than most of most people like well she and then she comes from the john stewart tree of correspondence so that yeah. makes sense so, you, you, you just gotta know what you're getting into when you so, when you do, watch those things back to trevor noah he 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 came in at actual, actually the worst possible time for him to come in, which was right before the election really got going, like right before all the debates and primaries. I remember like yeah. when he started The Daily Show, his initial intention was to do to make fun of like BuzzFeed and yeah, viral-type more, websites. And, which people like. Yeah. Which, and people like, and then the election kind of, like John and John Oliver was like, I'm not going to talk about Trump. Mm-hmm. And then everyone kind of realized yeah. came, they came to the reality that he was going to be the nominee. and They have to talk about e- it. Everyone's hands were kind of forced when it. Everyone was like, probably. I guess it was around January, February, where I think people for the first time were like, oh, this is going to drag out for a lot longer than we thought it yeah, was. Yeah. So Josh and I work at the Washington Examiner, which is a conservative newsroom, um, and we remember that moment when like everyone in the newsroom was panicking because they realized that Trump was going to be the nominee. He had, like, the numbers. And we're just like, why, hasn't people re- why haven't people realized this before? It's been like this for a while now. But then, like, it was just that moment, I think, in January. Didn't you have yeah. a co-worker who, like, tore up his yes. uh, yeah. Republican our, like, uh, registration? Our, our, it, what's Phil's title? Uh, opinion editor? Yeah. Sure. Uh, his his uh, he, he's a very prominent Republican voice, and he went on Twitter and he posted a photo of uh, I guess his uh, re- re- voter registration card, and he blocked out the word Republican. Yeah, he deregistered. And it got every. I, th- I think that was I got, went, that went viral. It was mm-hmm. among he like, was on like, the he was on the Kelly file like mm-hmm. hours after doing that. I think like, MSNBC too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When you get MSNBC and the Kelly file interested in something, you do. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the Examiner, I wanted to give a shout out to one of our listeners. Robert, hey what's Robert up? King, how's it going? I'm doing, I'm doing the buddy Christ at the microphone right now. You can't I can see confirm me. that she's doing it. Okay. See you on Monday. <laughs> Anyways, I will be. <laughs> Had to happen. So, do you guys think that the viral cycle has kind of changed both the way that the elections are covered as yes. well as the election? I would say so because you get new cycles, not even a day old, mm-hmm. like. Because of how many things that has happened to both campaigns with, like, Hillary's emails, with the FBI coming out and saying, like, by the way, we have new emails. And then by the end of the day, that story had shifted 50 times because no one knew what was happening. Like, they didn't written. And so by the time 5 p.m. rolls around, a completely different story emerged from what happened at 9 a.m. when they released it. I can only imagine what presidential elections would have looked like (laughs) if social media was around, say, in JFK's day. 
where you, yeah. know, you know, a, I, man, I, a man who's famous for bringing prostitutes into the White House. I, I, think, yeah. I think that social media has really expanded and, like, exponentially expanded the role of, the, of like, how people react to the presidential election in a way that is unprecedented, even in 2012, which was just yeah. four years ago. and I think it's also the first time that uh, beyond the media, just regular people can voice their opinions uh, at this high a volume and for this long of a time. Like, they have their own platforms, and they have large groups of people who listen to them. And because of that, we're bombarded every day and every minute with fun election news. Which, by the way, I just wanted to say, I'm tired, and I, <laughs> I am so happy that the election is going to be in two days. We are going to be working for a solid 36 hours straight. Yay! Something like that. Get some sleep, guys. Yeah. No, we won't. So <laughs> I want to wrap up this discussion. Um, we had some fun talk about like the election and stuff, but just like go back to po- political shows and like the fictional shows. What are your guys' favorite political shows? Uh, I'd have to say Veep, mm-hmm. because I think pa- Parks and Rec, for the most part, is a show about Parks and Recreation, the, mm-hmm. like the local department. Um, only until like five, season five, four, four, five, and six that you really get polit- politics involved. But I think that Veep as a show is so amazing as a comedy show and as a political show. It's just so it's so good. I think the uh, her chief of staff is the best character. Uh, Amy. No, no. Um, the other guy, the guy from the White House, the balding guy. Oh, Ben. Sorry. Ben. Ben, ben is so good. Good. Poor Ben. You know, I've never seen him in anything except the Transformers movies. And he then, was and the Transformers. Yeah, he was, he, the, he dad. was the dad. He was Shia LaBeouf's he dad. He was Shia LaBeouf's what? dad. And then he ended up as being the most biting, like, political figure on, on yeah. Veep. He was in Seinfeld in a couple episodes. He was very That makes he sense. Good. He's, he's a good actor. Speaking of Veep, I want to give a shout-out to The Thick of It, which was the British show that um, was by the same creator as Veep and is kind of based in the same universe somewhat. Kind of not really. Kind we, of we, we not feel, really. We well, feel it, your pain, Brian. It's not connected directly. It's not like the, um, a cinematic universe, yeah. but it is like Veep in the same like, exact yeah. vein of like uh, everyone swears up a storm on that show. And everyone, they work in the government. They work in the government and they're incompetent. Yeah. So Veep is sort of like a thematic spinoff of, off of the thick of it. And I guess like In the Loop is a film which is sort of a crossover or like a sort of backdoor pilot for Veep, in which takes place in D.C. and mm-hmm. has the characters from the thick of it. And uh, for any Doctor Who fans, Peter Capaldi is a character in the he's, thick of he's, it and he, in the loop. He's not the star of both shows, but mm-hmm. he is, like, everyone's all-time favorite. He's yeah. actually the only one that I know by name of, like, his character. Yeah. So. I'm sorry. I'm, no, I, I'm sure you guys are 100% right. I've never seen any of Oh, we are 100% yeah. right. We are, yeah. <laughs> We're always 100% right. Everything on the Millennial Falcon is 100% right. Fact check. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, um, and so I really love Veep. I think second to that would be uh, West Wing because I I really like the characters and like how they deal with um, politics and like they they try to see the good in everything. Um, I remember watching it not long after it was like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. So like th- that election was happening. And I, I remember watching it. And I got to the point where they were they were doing stuff like ripped from the Bush era headlines, mm-hmm. and they were trying to like make a commentary. I on would that. like to, I would like to give a quick shout out to a show we haven't discussed yet because I think I'm the only person on Earth who's ever seen it, uh, Brain Dead, which was on <laughs> CBS this summer and was wildly entertaining. And it's already been canceled. So if you want like an easy 13 episode one season binge, I highly recommend it. 
the basic plot is space bugs take over the brains of congressmen and explain why everything becomes so ridiculously partisan. <laughs> it's got it stars Mary Elizabeth Winstead as a congressman's sister who gets roped into it, and she's a straight man and all of this, and has to figure it out and how to stop them. Tony Shalhoub plays like an ultra Republican who's got like the queen bug in his head. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. I just, I just, I can kind of see why it would be really great. And also see why it was canceled. People just didn't know what to do with it, I yeah. think. It's a very... It, was, it looks like a niche show. This is a show that was on CBS. CBS never does genre shows. And when it does, it does not make <laughs> statements in its genre shows. When they do genre shows, they usually give it to CW a season later. Hashtag Supergirl. Um, this was, like, so out of CBS's comfort zone that I, I, I'm not shocked that it didn't last. But at the same time, the commentary was, like, Shockingly biting. Like I'm not saying it was like deep mm-hmm. levels or anything. Well, it was by the creators of The Good Wife. Exactly. Who it, 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 people based, people who, who know politics. Which yeah. is a show that Hillary Clinton watches, according yes. to WikiLeaks. She watches The Good Wife. She watches Madam Secretary. And she, and watches, she watches Parks and, Parks and Recreation. Rec. Yeah. And, Parks, <laughs> and to answer your question, your initial question, Parks and Rec is my favorite all-time sh- sh- political show. Yay. No question in my mind about that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Parks and Rec. It's one of my all-time favorite shows. But I like Veep better. In, I think I think Veep is a better show. I just yeah. like Parks and Rec better. That's all. Speaking of Brain Dead, this reminds me weirdly of a 1988 satirical show, a satirical movie, sorry, called They Live, in which aliens that. have taken over all of, like the wealthy people in America, but you can only see that they're aliens if you have like these special glasses, and when you put them on, you can see like that they look like skeletons essentially. Huh. And that's the, very V. Yeah, and because like they have taken over like so much of like society and stuff and the government they have a lot of subliminal messaging and like advertising and everything so like you see money and it says like this is your god or you see like the sign and says like this is your what you want or like something That's like intense. that this is your future that kind of thing and it's like it's it's a comedy but at the same time it seems very like I don't know prescient yeah, that's very in, much in the same vein as Brain yeah. Well, there's an episode of Black Mirror from season two that was about, from 2012, I think. It was a season two. It was called The Waldo Moment. And it's where they take this animated character and they run him for office. <laughs> and, and he's a foul-mouthed character who doesn't give a shit about politics. And the, the guy who voices him, the whole, like, the whole plot is he doesn't want to do it. He thinks this is ridiculous. And so, and other other like people in on his like media team are trying to like say no, this is a good thing. This will show how terrible politics is. Um, and like he gets kicked out of being of being the voice of Waldo, and like his terrible producer comes on and like voices him, and things get a lot more violent, and, and like people are you know rioting against regular politicians and throwing shoes at them. It's a very, like... That's the, the very first, relevant. He's like, he's like, I'll give you 500 quid if you throw a shoe <laughs> at the politician. And then some guy does it. And then you're like, holy shit. Well, I think I think the movie... And and when that mo- when uh, the show was reviewed initially, a lot of the people were like, this is too... It's not going to happen. That's ridiculous. And then, four, and then four years later, it's, holy shit, holy shit, Donald Trump is going to... is the nominee. Like... I mean, sadly, and this is a really bad movie, but this campaign very much is like the campaign. That awful Will Ferrell, Zach Galifianakis movie from a couple years ago, where Will Ferrell's like a North Carolina congressman who's been there for a hundred years, but and then this small town guy gets propped up, and it's not so much that he's spewing like hateful rhetoric. It's more that it's a very clear anti-establishment thing. It's like Will Ferrell has been there forever, so. Mm-hmm. 
and he's getting beaten by this guy who has no political experience. He has like his I think his dad was like a big political guy and kind of turned him into a into a working politician. But it was God, this this just it, it's kind of what's happened to Trump. He was he had no he had no idea what he was doing, and then he surrounded himself with some people with some actual political experience. Who are than him? Obviously, <laughs> that's that's a very low bar, and his campaign took off like. Say what you will, like say what you will about Kellyanne Conway, but what she's done is it, she's worked magic with with him. She did way more than like Manafort and Lewandowski combined. One of my favorite SNL sketches actually is that you were, uh, you've been burning to say this. Uh, is that <laughs> Kellyanne Conway sketch in which Kelly's day off? Yeah, Kelly's yes. day off. Kate McKinnon plays her on like her day off, and she keeps getting called in for like another ridiculous Trump quote, like "Oh, I hate black people." Oh, Hispanics have five extra toes or something like that. And she's like, "No, of course Trump didn't mean that." And then in the end, she concedes and's like, "Yeah, Trump is an awful person. He's the worst person I've ever worked with." <laughs> yeah. And then, you, and, and then back to SNL, like that wasn't too far off from like what happens no. daily. Mm-hmm. And like I think they have to, when they I have think that to, was like, the episode after the uh, video dropped too. Yeah, so. it yeah. was. It was. It was not long after that, and yeah. it's just one of those weird things where, just you know, they're just not. They're not making anything bigger than it is. It's just there. Yeah. Actually, the thing I wanted to say about the campaign is that the movie where Will Ferrell punches a baby. Yes. yes. Yes, I'm it is. I'm glad that you guys both saw this movie. No, I haven't seen okay. it. Okay. I just, that was from the trailer. Okay. <laughs> this was back before I was more discerning with the movies I saw. But remember, we actually went to the museum to, you interviewed them. I did. I interviewed Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis for that. They had, oh, a, okay. they had a premiere at the museum. I went, I went to the uh, museum to see Will Ferrell talk before Anchorman 2 came out, and then David Kochner was there for a screening of yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Will Ferrell didn't sorry, talk Sorry, sorry, that's my, that's my journalism swag. No, that's swag. okay. <laughs> journalism swag. And I, got, I, took, I took pictures. And I have, yeah, I have oh, pictures. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Will Ferrell didn't talk much. He talked, like, a sentence. He's he seemed very, very quiet. He's very Will Ferrell's not a funny done. guy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's, he's obviously a funny person, like, when he's playing a character. But as when a, he's I, himself, he's as pretty serious. As, as a human being adult, yes, he's mm-hmm. not all that funny. Yeah. Um, so my favorite political show, I, I guess I will say Parks and Rec. Yeah. Even, because it's like... Honestly, I'm actually not the biggest fan of politics, and Parks and Rec is probably like the least political show. I just yeah. like how it's about people. She loves her job. We yeah. promise she and loves Leslie her job. Leslie loves her job. They they all love the job except for maybe Ron. <laughs> Ron Swanson. But Ron just loves the people he's with secretly. Exactly. So. He's a big. It, 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 it's it's a view of politics. It's the most optimistic view possible, where everyone is is working together for common goals. They like each other. They like their constituents, mm-hmm. and they gen- even though even if their constituents don't like them, which yeah. is another very accurate yeah. portrayal. The people, of, the people of Pawnee, those political forums uh, <laughs> are the best. I, 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 I think once there was like an episode where they were. Where Sweetums wanted to put these like really fatty chocolate bars like in all their parks, yeah. and someone had, and someone came up to the microphone and was like, "Well, if." If these were so bad for you, why did Jesus make them taste so good? <laughs> and that's like the type of people you're working with on a daily basis in local politics. I've had like. friends who have worked at like local newspapers and have attended like, attended like those kind of super local town halls and are just like, this is exactly what it's like. People like I remember like one friend was just like, yeah, I had to go to local town halls and every time they would like ring a gong every time it started <laughs> and like they would have those ridiculous traditions. And I was like, oh god. I've, I mean, I've seen videos of town halls where they're. Just people, do, where there are no people, like they're doing, like, <laughs> when, the, like the people at the desk are just doing the minutes on their own with mm-hmm. no one to talk to. So I don't know if you guys had this in your high school, but in our senior year government class, everyone was required to go to five government um, town halls, no. and they could be either town council meetings or board of education meetings. 
both were terrible. <laughs> because they were A, really boring, and B, just uh, ridiculous. In my in my news writing classes in uh, college, we had to go to a town hall or two to uh, do like specific kinds of stories, and I got I don't think we lasted twenty minutes in ours. Yeah, like, like I, I got I got I got my I got all the news I needed, and then I got out as fast as I could. Yeah, like what we did was we had to have like five to put to say like this is you know it's like required, and like you get your friends and you sit in the back of the of the room and you're just like. Here. <laughs> like this is ridiculous and you know sometimes like if they don't have a quorum then everyone just kind of sits around because they can't do anything <laughs> but it's just like the it's just like really weird to see local government be like just so like head dead like, like blocked yeah so politics is terrible but Parks and Rec make it, makes it seem good. Yeah, everyone who hasn't watched Parks and Rec, my God, yes. what's wrong with you? Also, like, <laughs> even when they satirize it, like, with the debate episode between um, Bobby Newport and Leslie Bobby Hope, Newport's never, never had, had a real, real job in his life. life. But even when Parks and Rec <laughs> does it, it's more lighthearted and just seems, you know, it seems more optimistic, even yeah. when it's a satire. So Ho- Hope is the most important thing in 2016. Exactly. That's all we have left, guys. <laughs> I think that's a great way to wrap up our pop politics discussion. Uh, if you guys have any thoughts about pop politics, about this current election, about how late night comedy is covering it, about your favorite political dramas, let us know. Um, before that, let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. All right. Josh, as the guest this episode, why don't you go first? Okay, uh, Willie B and I discussed this because we both like the same things. <laughs> we both really, 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 really like the same things. So I'm going to give you guys a twofer, just some some t- TV recommendations that of the two the two best new shows of 2016. The first, obviously, if, if you if you've been anywhere near TV, Atlanta is probably the show you've heard the most about, and is it's different, it's hilarious. Um, do not go into expecting community, um, despite Donald Glover's. You're making the sound on the microphone. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Continue. I don't do podcasts very often. Um, do not go into headline thinking it's going to be community, just because Donald Glover's involved. I obviously, as as a little white white Jewish boy from the suburbs, I can't like relate to things that are going on there. But it just feels like a, a real world that. Donald Glover's created, and it's poignant. It's got this level of surrealism to it. There, there's an invisible car in one episode. Just, I, I, I can't, can't even describe how funny that moment was. You'll, you'll, you'll have to watch it. It was so out of the blue. Like they talk about it, and then you, you never think you could like see, you know, a throwaway joke. But yeah, then it, it, they bring it back. Basically, the setup is, and this isn't a spoiler. You can't spoil Atlanta. Nothing. It's, 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 it's a surreal comedy I've ever seen. Atlanta's yeah. very Seinfeldian, in that, in that nothing really happens, but it just all and feels a, like it's happening. There's a lot of conse- There's a lot of things that happen that would have consequences in the real life that yes. are never brought up. Again. <laughs> yeah, to, to, to set up the invisible car bit, there's they were at a club and there was this. Uh, Donald Glover, he's he's the cousin of a rapper, and there's another rapper there who was getting all the attention and. Uh, one of his one of 
Donald Glover's friends mentions that, oh, he, he's so rich, he has an invisible car. And then once they all leave the club at the, near the end of the episode, there's a shooting. And then you just see a bunch of people like being flung up in the air in the parking lot. And then you're like, oh, that's the invisible car. Yeah, because it, it's it a chaos of all where chaos. It's like, there's just like this invisible space and people are just like along the parking lot are being like looped up and you're just like, that's the invisible car. It's the only, <laughs> way, it's the only way to make a club shooting funny, basically. It's amazing, yeah. It's, it was like one of the laugh out loud moments I had for that show. Like, it's a show that feels very above above a lot of comedy on TV. So sometimes it's just kind of chuckle-worthy, like, comedy. Mm-hmm. But, like, that and, like, the episode in which, like, they had just the talk show. Like, oh, the talk David, show. David Boy was on the talk show for the entire so time. The BET parody was brilliant. It was hilarious. The, um... Advertisements, the false advertisements. The Dodge, Charger, the Dodge Charger advertisements had the best payoff of, of anything. It was so funny. My coworkers and I, were, my coworkers and I, were talking about how like we thought the Dodge commercials were real for a second. Same. And then, and then like the, by the third one, you were like, oh no, because <laughs> when you realize that the other commercials and on were were not real, because like it's just they do it so well. It looks like a real car commercial. I they be- film it like that. I believed. Um, oh yeah, no, Atlanta is great. I think I talked about it on the podcast when it premiered, but I. The the finale was last Tuesday. It was it's such a good show and I'm ten episodes, easy binge. I'm so I'm so glad they're getting a season two. Um, I'm guessing it'll be season two and then Don Donald Glover will go on to play Lando and then come back for season three after that. Um, because that's when the movie is supposed to come out in like 2018. He's one of those people. I'm just so happy that he's getting, having the career he deserves. He, he deserves yeah. it. He, yeah, and he's been working on Atlanta since. 2013 when yeah. he said he was leaving Community. Like, that's the reason he left Community. I thought that show was dead, frankly, because it had been in development for so long. But yeah. I'm so happy he took his time with it and made it into what it is. Agreed. And he got his uh, music video director to direct eight episodes, and then he directed two of them. If any of you are rap fans, by the way, his Childish Gambino stuff is always great. Of course. Look look it up. It's so but good. Bonfire is... Uh, Bonfire. Camp. Great great song. Camp is one of my, my favorite albums ever. It, it is my sophomore year of college. I listen, to, I listen to that all the time. I've seen I've seen him live twice. He's, mm-hmm. he's I've never done that, but yeah, I've I, and I rewatched his stand up yesterday. His um, Weird Weirdo is his one hour special. Is always, is is always a good one. Amazing to watch, and um, I remember the first time I watched it. It must have been the Comedy Central edited version because there were actual like chunks of it missing, and then they brought it onto Hulu, and I watched it, and I was like. There's so much that well, I, I didn't... Say, I, I believe it's on Netflix, It's too. on Netflix now, but, yeah. um, but it wasn't always... But okay. it was on Hulu first, and I saw it on Hulu. I was like, there's a lot of stuff I didn't see before. And it's, it's all uncensored. It's all uncensored. <laughs> it's so funny. He's so funny. He's one of the most talented people working in Hollywood today, mm-hmm. and I think I, I think that's not an understatement. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And he so that's why in Atlanta, it, like, the production value is so high. The, the acting is amazing. I think the guy who plays Paperboy is, like... He's Emmy worthy. He's amazing. He's yeah. Emmy worthy. Frankly, d- frankly, Darius is my favorite character. Darius is great. Anytime like, Darius says a word, I crack up. But I think Paperboy, like Don Glover, he may be the the star, but it's really Paperboy's show. Well, well yeah. that, that's another reason that it's such a good show because Donald Glover isn't afraid to give the spotlight to a supporting character. No, there's an like, entire episode about Van. Uh, his his uh, one of the best. I love that episode season. too. I love that because I was like, yeah. I was very worried she'd be like the naggy girlfriend, yeah. but then she got an episode to her own, and I was all the, so all happy the side characters that. are so fleshed out. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's wonderful, and mm-hmm. their episodes go by without a white person, mm-hmm. and it's yes. amazing. It's amazing. It's really good. And, and, and if I may double dip just really quickly. The, 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 Go ahead. Take as many chips as you want. <laughs> Last time, I promise. You double dip the chip. Seinfeld. What's wrong with me? Yes, I, yes, I know. I know. Okay. My dad looked like Larry David, and he and, and Seinfeld and Kerb are his two favorite shows. <laughs> um, the Good Place is the other show that everyone should be watching. It's Kristen Bell as 
she enters a version of heaven as a person who really should have been sent to what's called, known as the bad place. Hell. <laughs> what is it hell? Is it? Is the good place hell? Well, like the questions of morality in the good place are really interesting because evil isn't really evil as much yeah. as you basically, basically, yeah. basically in the good place, there's no such thing as purgatory. You either get sent to the good place or the bad place, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of complaining about that system. Yeah. But 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 by the way, Ted Danson represents all that is good in the universe. So good. <laughs> he's, he's hilarious. He's the architect of like their neighborhood, and I just watching him and Kristen Bell be goofy together is worth the price of admission alone. But yeah, The Good Place is also from the creator of Parks and Rec, so mm-hmm. it has an amazing pedigree. Mm-hmm. Just... And Kristen Bell starred on Parks and Rec. She was uh, she was uh, Leslie's pawn, uh, equal, equal ten. counterpart. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, because she... Yeah, Kristen Bell's one of the more underrated comedic actresses, I think, out there. I'm glad she's back on TV. Yeah. So am I. She wasn't doing great in movies. Yeah. And, you she's should, good, but you her movies watch great. Veronica Mars if you ever get that Watch time. Veronica Mars, Josh! I've been told this on multiple occasions by, by Hoi Chen. Yes. Um, she's excellent in it. Well, if you ever watch Buffy, watch Veronica Mars right after it. It's which like is perfect, what, exactly, exactly what I did. Exactly what you did, yeah. That's it, what I did, too. It's a perfect, like, segue from, like, it's almost like watching, like, season eight of Buffy. Yeah. yeah. My next two, I know what my next two binges are already. On your recommendation... Crazy Ex-Girlfriend's coming at some point. Yeah. And Good Girls Revolt, because I'm reading the book. It's, it's an Amazon show. I, the, the pilot was great. Okay, I, I just recommended, like, five things. <laughs> well, you, guys, you guys go ahead, That's all right. All right. So my really like for this week is The Handmaiden. It's Park Chan-woo's new movie. He's the, the director of Old Boy. And you might call him Park Chan-woke this time around. Do you feel good about that? I feel great about that because The Handmaiden is a great feminist twist on a gothic romance. It's based on a gothic romance novel. I don't remember the name of the original novel, but it's which was originally it's originally set in England, but Park Chan-woo took it and set it, set it in Korea to have a um, Japanese noble lady and the handmaiden be a Korean lady. So they have like that tension between like the Korean and Japanese sort of classes. If you some like brush up on history, Jap- Japan colonialized Korea for a little bit and there are still tensions running today um, between those two countries. Like a lot of countries around East Asia really hate Japan because of like their imperialist and um, conquering ways. So this was set during the time in like post-colonial Korea in which um, these Japanese, Japanese like noble families living there. So this a handmaiden gets hired to basically con this Japanese noble, noble lady into getting her to marry a um, a guy who's like posing as another Japanese noble man, and so he can steal all her money and put her in a madhouse because she's like an heiress. But in the process, the handmaiden falls in love with the Japanese lady, and there's lots of sexy scenes, and it's gorgeous. Not just the sexy scenes, but it's one of the most Cinematographically beautiful movies I've seen this year. Cinematographically. Okay. I want that to be a word. Cinemat. It has some. Cinematically. Of the, cinematically. It has some of the most. Now we're gonna pretend you're right. I like some that of the most beautiful cinematography <laughs> that I've seen this year. I believe. Does that make you guys happy? Very. Sure. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know Shakespeare made up his own words. <laughs> like elbow. Yes. Exactly. We well, didn't have a word for elbow. Was it him, or, was it him we, or the other guy? We didn't. Well, we oh. don't talk about the other guy. We don't talk about the other guy. The other guy just got legitimized in the past couple weeks. For only a couple plays. I don't know. I don't know. Mm. I'm just saying. <laughs> anyway. 
<laughs> Anyways, it's a gorgeous film. I highly recommend it. The soundtrack is also gorgeous. Um, uh, is it probably going to be up there for best foreign film? Probably best foreign seen? film. Um, I would say Park Chan Woo is kind of in the same vein as like Tarantino in that he gets a little bit gratuitous. And he really likes his torture scenes for some reason. But he is also just like a very. Oh, boy, yeah. yeah, he's a very <laughs> adept filmmaker. And I think that this is like one of his. I haven't seen a lot of his films, but I think this is like definitely should be like regarded highly. Um, I just want to also give a shout out to this year's Oscar race and how good it is. I'm really excited. I think we're going to discuss, we're about to discuss probably the best movie that's going to come out this year. We are. So, (laughs) Willoughby, what is your really like this week? Well, I've got two. One of them I like more, but I'll talk about Moonlight first. Um, Um, I think think in this case, we're the only two who have seen Moonlight here, or have you seen I have not seen Moonlight yet. Anya did, but she's not here today, so... Um, Moonlight is a great movie. It is one of the best of 2016. Um, if not the best. If not the best. It's, <laughs> it all deals about, it all deals with masculinity, black masculinity, a homosexual black masculinity. It's very intersectional, very in-depth, very raw, very great. Um, the main character is this, you know, uh, gay black kid who grows up you have, it's like boyhood where you see the story's in three parts with three different actors playing uh, and and, it, and it's very intentional to have those have, have it be three different actors because it's all about putting on a different persona and like trying to he's dealing with who he is as a person and, and identity politics the whole way through yeah and I think that it does it does a really great job of showing just like how like what it means to be a man and how you know being a man in with one other guy or with a bunch of different guys like in a crowd like how 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 do you present yourself to the people that you that you talk to work with your family your friends um so it's a really interesting movie very introspective very like amazingly well shot um great soundtrack uh the score and the, and the songs in it um and Amazing performances by everyone all across uh, the board. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to Naomi Harris who played his uh, mom through all three parts. Uh, mm-hmm. His mom was a drug addict. Uh, it starts. You you could tell where she was going from the beginning, and her story her story plays out pretty predictably. But look for her for supporting actress this year. I don't think you're gonna find too many stronger performances than yeah, what she put on. As well as um, Marsha Hala Ali, um, who played Remy Danton in House of Cards. And um, it all comes full circle. And he was also in Luke Cage as Cottonmouth. Um, and so he's having a great 2016. Yeah, um, you, you might as well hand him the supporting actor he, trophy right and now. He, he he was so good in in like basically like becoming like the father figure for um, uh, Chiron, who is the character's uh, first name. He was in a shockingly small part of the movie, but, but he was he very was, very he was powerful. Very powerful, like you, I, the and very influential on Chiron later on like you can clearly tell when he's an adult that he just based his entire like identity around um Juan's yeah, character yeah he and uh, Janelle Monet played a couple that became uh Chiron's surrogate parents yeah. basically Janelle Jan- Monet is she's a lot of so good in it too she's I didn't know idea that was that that was Janelle Monet I was very impressed with her yeah like I know her I know her songs but I don't really know what she looks like and then I saw yeah I was like oh that's her um, Honestly, pairing Moonlight and Atlanta together is like, it, it, I highly recommend it just because they, they, they cover a lot of the same subjects. Yeah. Um, one's obviously a lot more comedic than the other, but it's just, 
it's it's a very good year for representation on, yeah. in in movies and TV. That's very true. And to my second one, does not do the best in uh, <laughs> representation. We've talked about Doctor Strange before. Yeah, I'm seeing that tonight. I liked the film. It was very very good. But it, it should have been played by to, by someone who was Asian, because there's no reason for Tilda Swinton to be the the ancient one, and like even her character was not a stereotype at all. Like mm-hmm. they could have easily just had someone else play the role and be Asian, and it wouldn't have not have been a stereotype. Like, yeah. Like the director was talking about how he was like trying to not have a stereotype yeah I remember I was reading that interview on um, I think it was Daily Beast it was with Jenny yeah. Mato and it was a really good interview and he was kind of like trying to really walk this tightrope between like representation and like yeah. not trying to fun anyone but in the process he kind of did the more offensive <laughs> thing it really reminds me of you know like that community episode in which the human being got introduced as the mascot for Greendale and they're just like wow in trying not to be racist you end up being more racist <laughs> exactly and that was the that was my the, my main problem problem with the movie was that Tilda, Tilda Swinton didn't have, there was no reason for her to be a Celtic On that note, one. was there any reason for Benedict Cumberbatch to be American? Just because the character is American? You know, I, I've always imagined that character. seems like he should be British, honestly. That's what I said, yeah. Yes. He should be British. <laughs> no, like, he's, he's, he's American. Um, it's just like casting Johnny Depp as Grindelwald. Like, <laughs> why? Don't talk to me yeah, we're not. that. <laughs> but, but the movie, um, I'll give a quick review. It's very visually stunning. It's the best visual effects that I've ever seen Marvel do. Um, I was blown away by it. I saw it in 3D. I recommend it in 3D. Possibly wow. IMAX. I haven't. I didn't see it in IMAX, but the 3D worked so well. Like there were a lot of moments where I was just sucked into it because of how the, the 3D worked. Um, like we we used to make fun of it because of the trailers because it looked like Inception. Inception, yep. like, yeah. it's Inception so. by five. Mm-hmm. Okay. With the visual effects that That's are going a on. Like, there's reality bending that you'll never witness in any other movie. Um, also, the Cloak of Levitation is my favorite character. And I <laughs> say character, character? Because, because it's a character. There's personality to it. Is it like the flying carpet? It's exactly like the flying <laughs> oh carpet. Oh my god, that Milan. makes me really happy. Yeah, so that was one of, that was, it was so so good like best part of best character of the movie I'll let you know what I think of it when I see it tonight yeah um, but like the representation is an issue and I've, it, it does hinder the movie a little bit but I think for me it worked that the movie worked better mm-hmm. um, than other Marvel movies I've seen mm-hmm. um, I think that it's, it's, actually, it's actually pretty funny Dan Harmon did a script doctoring of it mm-hmm. and brought in a lot brought in a lot of humor to it so it's actually pretty awesome. funny um and the character of Wong, played by Benedict Wong, is not his manservant. He's not like a racial stereotype. He's very, he's very funny, and very good. Like, like the the way that he so, and Benedict. So as come, opposed to like a Green Hornet, where he was as stereotypical. Actual, still as manservant. Yeah, no, it was even though he was played by. He plays the li- he plays the librarian of like the 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 where whatever place they go to, like where all the mystical the, the where all the where all these sorcerers. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, study and stuff he's like the, the librarian and, and like his his personality clashes with Benedict Cumberbatch's um, personality who actually has a personality in the film he's Good like for him. he's an arrogant asshole but he's not a robot a ro- he's not robotic like Sherlock so oh, that's good, that's to, know. good it, to know. He, he's funny. He's kind of like um, so he's like Tony Stark a little bit from what I've been reading. Kind of like Doctor House. Uh, okay. My girlfriend and I were talking about. I like it. that better. And he's he's very much like Doctor House. Um, <laughs> Sorry, and, just like he's a doctor too. No, no, that's the thing. Is like he's the first part of the movie. So he this was, is giving House mystical powers. Maybe. Yes, essentially. <laughs> that's it, terrifying. It's terrifying, <laughs> and it, but it actually makes the movie kind of 
very much more interesting. That kind of makes sense. And he has like a humble, he has a bunch of humble. How moments. is his, how is his uh, love interest? Rachel McAdams is good. Um, she cool. sh- she should have been in a lot. Uh, she should have had a story of her own, but she didn't. She basically just uh, supports the story. I feel bad for Rachel McAdams. She deserves more. Yeah. How many times were you wishing it was Claire Temple? I didn't think that at all, but that would be interesting. Yeah. Uh, but Because um, I heard I remember rumors that she was going to be Night Nurse like long well, before the movie came out. Well, she is Night Nurse. Which I... Isn't Claire Temple also basically Night Nurse? Oh, yeah. No, Claire Temple is. Yeah. But Rachel McAdams, no, she's just a doctor. Well, I heard rumors a long time ago oh. that she was going to be Night Nurse. No. Okay. No, no. Yeah. But she... I mean, she's great in the role that she has, but I just wish she had her own story. Um, but yeah, no, the movie overall, I liked it. I'd say it's better than Iron Man 2 and Thor The Dark World. But that's a really like I like all the other Marvel movies very much on an equal basis like that. Okay. Um, okay. So, but so it's up there with the other Marvel movies. Yeah, I get. I think that over overall it, it's good, but the Asian representation it should it should not have been Tilda Swinton. Yeah. Because like they could have they could have not they if they hadn't like, there's no excuse for there's it. no excuse for it if they had an Asian woman playing the same role with the same exact dialogue it would not have been like the quote unquote dragon lady stereotype that they would that, that he talked about or the or if they had an Asian man it would not have been a Fu Manchu uh, stereotype either mm-hmm. they just didn't go far enough I'm sure we'll be having a similar conversation when uh, Iron Fist comes out yeah. next year. We having um, not seen Doctor Strange, I just want to say that even if Doctor Strange is the best movie ever, I do want to say that like the, these discussions are that is not an excuse for and to end, end oh, these course. discussions. I think that Definitely representation not. is still important, yeah. and that there should be more people of color hired behind the scenes to kind of stop like these kind of situations Again, happening. Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Like you get examples of like that in um, in black content, like Atlanta, like Moonlight. And if we just had like more of that diversity, not just black and white, then it would be better all around. Yeah. Like I'm not. Ex- I'm definitely not excusing the whitewashing. Mm-hmm. Like that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm no, just, no, I agree. I don't think that like the quality of the movie is like. It's not. It's affected. Usually, it's, it is. Yeah. It, it does affect my viewing of the movie mm-hmm. because I know that the the ancient one character is Asian in mm-hmm. the comics, um, but overall, I think I would I would rewatch the movie. Like mm-hmm. I'd see it a couple times. This, this is a similar issue I'm having with another movie, and it's more because of the person who's directing it and his views on certain ethnic groups. Is it Mel Gibson? Yeah, as as a Jew, I have a lot of trouble trouble with the idea of Hacksaw Ridge being directed by Mel Gibson because mm-hmm. you know World War II was a conflict that didn't end particularly particularly well for Jews, and I know that uh, the movie isn't about the that aspect of it, but whoever thought it was a good idea to hand him a World War II movie, I I, I want to punch them in the face. Yeah. A lot of problematic things happening in Hollywood, but they're trying. You know, they're trying. At they're least, trying. Like, like the Scott, Derrick, Scott Derrickson interview, the director of Doctor Strange, was really good, and it does seem like he's, you know, he's learned from this experience and he is trying. And like, there's progress. Like, there's no longer the issue of Oscars so white this mm-hmm. year, hopefully, because of Moonlight, because of Fences coming out. Um, so cross, cross your fingers. Cross your fingers. Um, so I think that, like, I don't know, there's progress. Yeah. So if you guys have thoughts on the Good Place, on Atlanta on The Handmaiden, on Doctor Strange and Moonlight. Oh, man. So we had, like, five recommendations really, from really, the three really of us. Lot. Yeah, guys. Sorry. <laughs> I had one. All right. Do you want another? Pick another. You know, I'll talk about The Handmaiden a little more just because I love gothic romance a lot, and 
it's a great genre and is done really well recently, both in Crimson Peak and The Handmaiden, and it's not just straight gothic romance. Okay, there you go. Crimson Peak can be her. Well, that was a long time ago. I already had that a while ago, yeah. That was last year's really So, you know what? It's okay. I like all the things that you guys said, so it's whatever. So where can they let us know what they think about these things, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter if you search for us at Falcon Podcast. We're on SoundCloud. We're on our blog, millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. And uh, we're on iTunes and Google Play, where you can rate, review, and subscribe to us there. And where can they find you guys? Josh, what, where, where can they find you on the Internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, jaxel222. You can search for my – you can go to washingtonexaminer.com and search for my author page. Um, that's all I got. <laughs> you can find me at htrenbui on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right, thanks for joining us, and thank you, Josh, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right. Right. Bye. Bye.